Today's scripture reading comes from Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyard and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and I will no longer, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I'll have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel. It's, uh, it's a joy to be able to worship with you all. Uh, this morning. Uh, would you join me as we pray one more time? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you now that we're able to pause and consider these words that we just heard. Uh, these are words of life that have been given from you to us, and we pray that your spirit will give us understanding and allow us to continue to worship you this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a, ser- a sermon series on the topic of the love of God, and, and each week we've been looking at a, a different aspect of God's love uh, because it's, it's so vast. It is uh, so much more than uh, we could ever truly understand. But we do hope that with each week, uh, our understanding would indeed broaden and expand uh, to better appreciate the love of God uh, for us. Uh, no relationship is perfect. Right? Relation, uh, every relationship that we have, whether it's with our, our families, friends, or neighbors, uh, relationships, they can be messy, frustrating. And there are even times where, let's be honest, they can be annoying. And, and depending on the relationship, we, we might actually put in the work to resolve conflicts whenever they might come. There might be times where we will decide to just simply accept and live with the fact that things are messy and they're not perfect. But there's one thing that is difficult to tolerate no matter what kind of relationship we have, and that is an experience of betrayal. Whenever trust is broken, when we are in a relationship where we think the other person is 
committed to us, but then all of a sudden, they are not. The, the theme of unfaithfulness, it runs throughout this entire book of Hosea. Uh, Israel, the people of God, uh, they have broken their trust with the Lord. And so we're going to look at this passage here in Hosea chapter 2, where, where God is pictured as Israel's husband, who desperately wants to win back his wife. And it's this love of a husband that we'll look at more deeply this morning. And so we're going to consider three things. First, the husband's love betrayed. Secondly, the persistence of the husband's love. And then lastly, the fulfillment of the husband's love. So first, the husband's love betrayed. Uh, since the time of Abraham, the people of Israel, they, they received this beautiful promise when God told them, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it was as if God was making this wedding vow uh, to Israel, promising his utter commitment to them. And this promise was reinforced. It was reaffirmed with every generation that would, uh, that would follow. And when we consider the history of Israel, there were so many moments where God would remind the people of Israel of this beautiful promise. You know, we think back to things like how God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. We think about God leading the people to the promised land of Canaan. Things like the promises of a savior to come that are filled all throughout the scriptures. But while God might be good on his promise to Israel that he will be their God, Israel would not always be good on their end to be God's people. Uh, in the book of Hosea, Israel is being captivated by a god known as Baal. Now, in the ancient world, Baal was worshipped for its uh, believed power over things like the land, rain, and crops. And, and this was, you know, enticing to Israel because they were an agrarian society. So much of their livelihood depended on whatever came out from the ground. And so, if Baal could deliver on the promises that he is making, then why not worship him? And, and this is where the allure of leaving God and turning to Baal started to take hold of the Israelites. Again, the Israelites, they were an agrarian society. And living in the city, we can't fully appreciate what it means to be a farmer, but, but farming, it's hard work. It, it, it's challenging. It's time-consuming. It takes patience, knowledge, skill. And so for the Israelites, whenever there was a moment where there wasn't a great harvest, when they were having difficulty putting food on the table, they're lacking the essentials of life, it is all too easy for the eyes to wander and to see if there's something else, there's something more that's out there. Whenever we have unmet desires and needs, uh, we might start to look around and try to see 
what the alternatives are. And so the Israelites began to question if God can really provide for their needs. And for them, when life was getting challenging and when everyone else around them is worshiping Baal, it is not too hard to imagine the Israelites starting to think that, hey, maybe this Baal character is for real. Now, it might sound like Israel all of a sudden just flipped their allegiances, turned away from God and turned to Baal. But what most likely happened is that they made subtle compromises over time where they continued to worship the Lord. But while doing so, they would kind of sprinkle in Baal from time to time. So they would pick and choose whatever they thought would benefit them in a given moment at a given time. But then over time, they would put God further and further into the distant background, and Baal would become more and more of a staple in the everyday life of the Israelites. And whenever we think about our lives, where are we making these kinds of subtle compromises? You know, on the surface, it might not be all that obvious, but over time, the cumulative effect makes a huge difference in our lives. Uh, I think back to the first year when G and I were married, uh, my work rhythms of doing pastoral ministry, they didn't really change all that much. I would put in a full day of work at the office, and then in the evenings, I would go and make visitations to people in their homes. Or something that G and I looked forward to when we were married was to invite people over to our house and to have them over for dinner, be able to hear about how their lives are going, um, have the privilege and honor to journey alongside of them in the burdens that they are carrying. And so in that first year, Uh, That is what happened pretty much every single night. And honestly, I felt energized and I felt fulfilled doing my job as a pastor. I mean, I was doing the Lord's work. But then there was a day that came when G was honest with me. And she said, you know, Tim, every single day, You are ministering and pouring into people. But when are you going to minister to me? And in that moment, I realized, wow. You know, uh, what seemed innocuous by scheduling times to meet with people every day, you know, to to say yes to whatever requests came in to, to meet that week. Sure, I was doing my job as a husband, but I was failing in my job as a uh, sorry as a as a husband. You know these these subtle compromises in the moment they can appear harmless, but then over time the effects might be more significant than we might actually be able to plan for. So right now in our lives, what are those subtle compromises that we are making? 
when we think about our, our friendships and relationships, are, are, are we neglecting certain people uh, by constantly pushing things off to, to meet with them? And then before we know it, a year has gone by when we haven't truly connected with that person. When it comes to stewarding our money, maybe we're not all that reckless with our finances, but from time to time, we might splurge on some things, and then over time, we realize we're in a financial bind. Or when it comes to our relationship with God, maybe there are seasons we go just starting to not pray as much. We're not uh, showing up to corporate worship regularly, and then several months pass by, and we start feeling this sense of distance from God and wondering, how did this happen? These subtle compromises, while in the moment they might not seem all that significant, but over time its effects become more prominent and we might not even realize what is changing in the moment. The Israelites, they gave into the allure of adultery, not overnight, but what seems to be over the course of time as they were making these small decisions. But what is so shocking in our passage is that God demonstrates persistence in wanting to win back Israel. That leads us to our second point, the persistence of the husband's love. Verse 14 says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So remember, there is utter betrayal that has just taken place between Israel and God, but God does the unimaginable. He runs after his adulterous wife. In the original Hebrew, this language of God alluring Israel, speaking tenderly to her, it describes God passionately pursuing Israel as if he is courting her for the very first time. But the reality is that this is not an exciting first date that God is looking forward to. But because he's been cheated on time and time again, And yet, what we notice here is that God is not keeping score. He's not holding these sins against Israel. Instead, God is giving Israel complete, undeserved grace. Now, imagine, if we were in Israel's shoes, wouldn't we expect something like receiving God's punishment, his wrath, But God doesn't want Israel to pay. Instead, he pursues after his adulterous wife. He wants to win her over again. At the same time, we see God confronting the one who's been wooing Israel away from him. In verse 16, it says, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. 
For I will remove the names of the balls from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. So God, he's not being passive when it comes to Baal. He's not conceding the fact that, oh, Israel's more interested in him than in me. God is seeing his wife, Israel, being seduced away from him, and he refuses to give up on her. So God sees his competition. He's ready to take him out. He's prepared to win over Israel's affections and allegiances so that Baal will become this long-forgotten memory. And once God wins Israel back, he does something even more remarkable. He makes Israel beautiful and stunning and radiant. Verse 19, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So Israel is this unfaithful bride caught in the very act of adultery. And could you imagine just these emotions of of, of shame and embarrassment, fear even, wondering, are we going to get what we deserve at this moment? Now that Israel is stripped from Baal and in God's presence, he doesn't force Israel to clean up their act or make her pay for all that she does. No, what God does is he turns his adulterous, unlovable, unacceptable bride into his beautiful, lovable, acceptable lover. He lavishes Israel with righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness, all the things that Israel lost when she gave into the allure of adultery. And so we see God completely restoring the marriage of what it should have looked like from the very beginning. And this remarkable display of God's love, a husband's love that is persistent for his wife, is not just something that God has for Israel, but a love that is offered to all of us. Because as we continue through the storyline of the Bible, we see this love show up again. At a time when God would display his love, not just for one nation, but for all of us. You see, when when, when Jesus entered our world, he came knowing full well that we didn't want anything to do with him. He knew that we were enticed by all these other different kinds of loves that are around us, and yet he did not come with judgment. He did not come wanting to make us pay for our unfaithfulness. But he came to invite us and persuade us to a relationship that we have been hardwired for. He came to win us over. And at the same time, what we see Jesus do is not only persuade and invite us into this love, but he would confront the one thing that's been trying to keep us away from God himself. 
We see Jesus taking this active approach to face evil head on. But we know that this persistent love of Jesus was met with ultimate betrayal. As we do every Sunday, we we partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare to do so, we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed. We remember how one of his own dear friends, who was seemingly committed to Jesus, wanted something more. So we see Judas handing over Jesus to people who wanted him dead by nailing him to a cross. But the good news is that that was not the end of the story, because Jesus would eventually rise from the dead. He would defeat the evil that has been separating us from God. And through his resurrection, Jesus would give us his righteousness, his justice, his steadfast love, his mercy, his faithfulness, so that we would be beautiful in the eyes of God. And so all of our blemishes, evidences of our unfaithfulness, they would be covered over by what Jesus has done. And so the work of Jesus restored us back to a right relationship with God, the one that he originally intended for us to have at the very, very beginning of time. So not only is God's love persistent in wanting to win us back, but he does something more that leads us to our final point, the fulfillment of the husband's love. Now, when we think back from the first betrayal that took place in the Garden of Eden, what we see after that is every single relationship that existed starting to break down and shatter. Our relationship to creation, to one another, and of course, to God himself. So here in our passage, it says that the fulfillment of God's love for his people is the restoration of all these relationships. Verse 18, and I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. You know, this language is all too similar to what is used during the creation account in Genesis 1. And so here, it's as if God is making this promise that he will restore our relationship to creation, that the beauty and harmony of creation from the beginning of time is going to be a reality once again. Later in verse 18, it says, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And so here is a promise that God will restore our relationship to one another. No longer will the world be filled with power struggles, with conflicts, with nations warring against each other. But there's going to be a day coming where peace and harmony and flourishing is going to be our everyday experience. And then finally, verse 21, 
And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Now, just a a quick word of background of what's happening here to understand this section. So the prophet prophet Hosea uh, was called by God to marry a woman named Gomer, who eventually would become unfaithful to him. And this marriage uh, was to reflect the relationship that God had with Israel at the time. And Gomer had three children, and God gives them the names of Jezreel, no mercy, and not my people. And and these names uh, were meant to be prophetic in that they were to communicate the curse of rejection because of Israel's unfaithfulness. But here's what happens in what we just read, is that through the restorative work of God, this curse of rejection would turn into a blessing of acceptance. And we see this happen when the people respond, saying, you are my God. There's a complete reversal that takes place. God makes the promise then that he will restore our relationship to him. And I think this shows us that Christianity is not just about having a right relationship with God, as important as that is. But God is concerned with much more. He wants a world where every relationship you can imagine is thriving and flourishing. And it means that everything that we do in our day-to-day life has eternal significance. And so if God wants a world where there is harmony and peace, thriving, flourishing, how might God be calling you to be part of this work of renewing and restoring the broken relationships that are around us so that the world will look more and more closely like the way he originally intended for it to be? Maybe he's calling you to consider your relationship to creation, how you approach your work or school, thinking about how to honor the Lord with everything that you do. Or maybe how we are stewarding creation, thinking about what are the things that we consume on a daily basis? How can we be better stewards of what God has given to us? Maybe God is calling you to consider your relationship to others. Maybe you're in a season right now where there's been ongoing conflict with someone that's close to you. Maybe we can ask the Lord for wisdom on how to approach that relationship with care and with concern. Or maybe God is calling us to better notice what's happening in our neighborhoods. Where is the brokenness that is right in front of our eyes and asking the Lord, how can we be agents of renewal 
right where we live. And maybe God is calling you to consider your relationship to him. Maybe this season that we're in right now is one where God is calling you to to pause, to be still, to slow down a bit more, and to delight in the Lord. Maybe it's a calling to notice God more in our everyday lives, even in the very ordinary things. So where might God be calling you to be part of his work of renewing and restoring the broken relationships that are around us? And as we consider this, uh, let's remember the love of God that has been persistent to win us over, even though we have been unfaithful to him. Instead of making us pay, Jesus paid so that we would be made beautiful in the eyes of God. Our relationship to God would be made new, just like how it was originally intended to be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love towards us. We thank you, God, for your persistence and how you never gave up on us, and how this shows your love of being utterly committed, even though we were not always committed to you. And so, Father, thank you that you are also about renewing and restoring the broken things of the world, and that your spirit is at work even now, even this last week, even in this week ahead, you are going to do beautiful things. And so, God, help us to join in this work of renewal and of restoration so that more people would come to know this love that is unlike any other. And may we be captivated by this love as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.